Welcome to TSO Consulting Group's DEI podcast series, Why Is It So Hard? Shining Through the Shadow of Resistance. I'm Dr. Tanya Breland. And I am Erica Lee. Welcome back. They came back. They came back. So this is, as you know, why is this so hard? Shining through the shadow of resistance. That's our podcast series. Yeah, we've been having a really good time. We have. And we hope that you have too. So let's get into today's Just in topic. case you didn't know. I'm Tanya. And I'm Erica. <laughs> <laughs> so today we want to talk about something that most of you might think is just related to students and kids, but we're gonna show you how this conversation about AP enrollment yeah. is actually really significant in society. It is, it yeah. is. It has, like everything through school, it just has um, repercussions and it reverberates in other areas of life. And so um, sometimes I think some people think that it's not that big a deal that you know, um, black and Latino kids are underrepresented in AP and honors mm -hmm. enrollment, but it mm -hmm. actually has, you know, some lasting effects in, in our mm -hmm. society concerning the way that we recognize people. Right, yeah, and, and we're gonna kind of make some ties so that you can see the connection, um, you know, post-secondary in terms of like where people go to college, what kind of jobs yeah. they have, where they can live, whether or not they have access to um, healthcare, all of that can tie into something like AP um, Honors, enrollment. Yeah, gifted yeah. and talented, those kinds of programs. Because mm -hmm. what we're really talking about is access. Right. We're really talking about access and the opportunity to engage in rigorous instruction or even just to be recognized mm -hmm. for being able to, you know, somebody having faith in you that you can actually, you know, complete harder coursework. It actually goes a long way. It does. I think. So what, I don't know, I don't know what schooling was like for you when you were a kid, but um, I grew up in, mostly in Ohio. And so the, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and, and the side of town that we lived on, my school was predominantly black. Mm -hmm. But what, what we experienced as kids was something that um, some of you may know as a term called tracking. Mm -hmm. So if you were in the, you know, on the honors track, you know, started in elementary school. So in elementary school, they identified people as gifted and talented. Yeah. So I was one of the students that was identified as a gifted and talented. My brother was not. And we came from the same household, you know, similar experiences, but for whatever reason, they're like, okay, she can be yeah. in it, mm -hmm. but he's not in it. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, they put us, put, put us in the various tracks, if you will, and those tracks carried mm -hmm. us all the way through high school. Yeah. So by the time I got to high school, you know, my brother and I went through school together, and so we were both in the same grade from like first grade on up, and so, you know, we were in the same homeroom in mm -hmm. middle school, the same homeroom in high school, um, and we had a cl class here or there together mm -hmm. at different times, but when it came to certain courses, I was in the, the honors and or AP courses, and he was in the college prep courses, yeah. or the regular ed courses, if you will. And what happens with tracking is your classes actually become kind of pre-populated. Yep. So you're literally, it literally is a track, right? So your classes from 
for 10th grade are determined by what you took in ninth grade, mm -hmm. right? And so that really is what tracking is. My experience was a little different. So I didn't go to an all black high school. Like my high school was, was integrated. And so, you know, it was a diverse, in an earlier episode, I talked about how I watched the change yes. of demographics right. in terms of my community. And so when I was in school, you know, the gifted and talented in elementary, the gifted and talented programs, mostly white kids, yep. right? And then in middle school, those honors programs, you know, um, they, Willingboro, well, that's where I'm from, Willingboro, New Jersey, it had this, um, they had this um, program or this track that if you were identified as gifted and talented in elementary, which really meant that you were a good reader. I mean, I'm not going to get into how they identify kids, but um, so you didn't have to take reading in seventh grade. You actually could take Latin. And so mm. in seventh and eighth grade, and then for me in ninth and 10th, I just took Latin. I took Latin one, um, one through four. And so it actually provided a really nice um, foundation for me in terms of reading and even spelling and understanding words and etymologies and all of that. But ergo, the English teacher. <laughs> ergo, the English teacher, that's right. But that got started. That was the access that I had in seventh grade. And so that when I went to my guidance counselor year after year, it was, well, your you know honors your ap this is sort of the track that you're going to take and it was predetermined for me really right. if i wanted to take a you know at that time it was like cp so it was college prep which was sort of like the middle road if i wanted to take those classes i almost had to get like parental permission mm. um, but in those classes they were like they were predominantly white kids you know and so the CP classes and the special needs classes, they were predominantly black kids. And it really became almost like this space. There's a great, there's a great book called Despite the Best Intentions. Mm. And it really is about how um, kind of like racism and tracking flourishes in integrated schools and in suburban schools. And so I really saw one of the things that they say is that those AP and those honors classes were considered white classes. Mm -hmm. And we kind of had that same um, like perception. We just thought that those were the, the white classes. And as an African-American student, I can tell you that it had repercussions on me socially, mm. right? Because it's like, who am I gonna hang out with? Kids hang out with the kids who they go to classes with. And so it was a bit of a challenge. I can it imagine. Was a bit of a challenge. I can imagine. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, the statistics that, well, not statistics, but the um, the example that you just gave really mirror some of the national statistics that we see yeah. related to who's enrolled in AP and honors courses. Yes. So we're looking at, and it's disproportionate, by the way. So like 15% of the, the student population across the country are black students, but only 9% of them are enrolled yeah. in AP courses. Mm -hmm. And that's really significant because we're talking about a really low yep. percentage of black students who are enrolled in these courses. And so then you have to ask the question, why is that? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really the golden question, mm -hmm. right? So what's happening here that our students, are, our black and brown students are underrepresented in AP right. and, and honors and, right. and gifted and talented. Why aren't they being identified? Why aren't they being encouraged? why aren't they just allowed to enroll in, in these courses? And so 
when we think about that, you know, we think about sort of the, the ways that um, kids are marginalized for whatever reason. And I think, you know, unpacking that is going to be really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so as you were talking, I was thinking about um, the, um, you know, the, you know, who's in these classes yeah. and who's allowed to be mm -hmm. in these classes, mm -hmm. but not only who's allowed, but even, you know, there are black, there are reports that I've heard where, you know, black students who may be allowed to be, meaning they are academically, you know, astute enough, if you will, yeah. um, I don't even like saying that, um, to be enrolled in these courses, they don't want to enroll because they don't feel yeah. like they belong. Yeah, yeah. They don't feel like it's a place for them to be. And remember on Maslow's hierarchy, right? Yep. So belonging is before achievement. So before I can get to that place where I achieve or accomplish, I got to feel like I belong in these spaces. And right. if I don't feel that, right. right, I'm not really going to even want to right. Right. be in those, um, in, in, the, in those classes where I may not feel like I belong. Right. Mm -hmm. I do think it's good that there are some school districts currently who feel like, you know, this is a problem. Yeah. And they're willing to take the steps to detract students, which is, by the way, a problem for some parents, um, i.e. some white yeah. parents, unfortunately, mm -hmm. because AP courses traditionally was set up for yeah. white students, and there was kind of a separation there where they, you know, when integration happened, mm -hmm. they wouldn't have to be in courses and classes with you know, students of color. Well, it was almost like, I don't want to say an agreement, but it was a concession, right? Sure. So we'll integrate, we'll allow African-American students, we'll allow students of color into the district to be educated, you know, in the same building, but we will separate them in terms of classes. And that really is what kind of made it more palatable. Right for right. white parents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people know that history. No, I don't think so. Um, but it's really important that we talk about yeah. that because that's why we're in this state right now yeah. where there's a, where there's an underrepresentation mm -hmm. of black students and students of color. So Latu Latino students make up about 20%, I believe, mm -hmm. nationally. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even that also is disproportionate yeah. to the number of Latino students that, that we have in our schools across the country. And so, you know, when we, when we think about like, okay, so then, you know, now that we know this information, now what, so what? Like, what do we do about this? Yeah, I think this is a, that's a really good question. I think one of, the, one, of the, one of the challenging tasks that we have is to really unpack bias. So why don't we see the promise in kids um, in sort of, you know, why are there patterns? to the promise that we see in kids. Yes. Why are some kids overrepresented and some groups underrepresented? Like, why is that? And I think if we start to unpack that, um, I also think, you know, the way that we identify kids, so what measures are we using right. to identify right. kids who are gifted and talented mm -hmm. or can handle rigorous honors or AP work? Like, what method are we using, you know, and, and are those methods valid? You know, are they accurate in terms of identifying who can, you know, access or, or, or handle, you know, more rigorous coursework? Well, quite honestly, more kids can handle that rigor sure. than you expect. And the truth is, you know, when schools present students with rigorous instruction that is engaging and that's relevant, 
you know, that's a whole nother conversation about, you know, being yes. culturally relevant and culturally mm -hmm. responsive and or sustaining mm -hmm. in pedagogy. You know, that's a whole nother conversation that we will have <laughs> at some point. We will have it. Um, because we can't help it. These are things that are important to us. But, you know, um, students who have exposure to rigorous curriculum yeah. actually do better in general across the board. Even if they're not getting A's in these honors or AP courses, they're going to be better off yeah. than having been tracked in a college prep or a lower track class in general. Yeah, they will live up or down to our expectations. Absolutely. Right? And so that really, I mean, I think that's a really good point. Even if they don't get an A, Right. Even mm -hmm. if they don't yep. get an A, even if they don't get that B, they are still exposed to that rigorous, um, those rigorous expectations that has academic and it has social implications as as well. Right. Um, but I think um, at the end of the day, it also means that, you know, when we say to a student, you know, we have the faith in you mm -hmm. that. Yes, you may have some challenges in this area or maybe you didn't get all A's in this in this area or, or whatever maybe, that or is. Let me interject even more, like, because they may have gotten those, but they also may not have gotten um, instruction that was even respectful. Sure. You know, sure. meaning they've been given menial tasks. Now, we recently visited a school mm. oh. where we visited classrooms, and sadly, the majority of the students in those classrooms were students of color. Yes. And the teaching staff was, was, I would say, relatively diverse. I think so. I think so. Um, however, every single class we walked into, they were doing whole group instruction, and they were using worksheets. So, now, one thing about us, you have to know, we're former classroom teachers, yes. and we mm -hmm. despise worksheets absolutely we despise we actually think they're unjust they are <laughs> they are because the truth is is that kids have the right to be engaged in rigorous instruction they really need to be challenged yes right because if you think about you know um particularly young children they're so curious yes. right they're so curious right and they learn through play that's right. what all the research shows us so why then are we walking into classrooms and seeing five and six year olds with worksheets? Right. Like it is just, I mean, even up to high school, there are different ways to uh, engage kids. There are different ways to teach them. Kids come to us with all kinds of talents. interests, talents, mm -hmm. abilities, motivations, you know, preferences, styles, like all of that. And it is our job as educators to just engage all of that and mm -hmm. to take advantage of their advantages, their gifts and their talents. Right. And so we'll probably talk about this again, <laughs> but we are so anti-worksheet. Oh like, my gosh. Yes. But, yes. but what, what ultimately is happening in classrooms like that, and quite honestly, that was just, you know, last week. Yeah. But, you know, it could have been any given yeah. week, mm -hmm. in any given school sure. across this country sure. that we could have been walking into classrooms looking at the same thing. Yeah. I mean, there was a study, TNTP mm -hmm. actually did a study where they were looking at um, you know, rigor in the classroom, yeah. they were looking at curriculum, they were looking at what was going on with um, you know, students of color mm -hmm. in the classroom, and, and they found 
Sadly, yeah. that the instruction was subpar, yeah. quite honestly. And yeah. this, these are our own words, you know, yeah. we're breaking it down. No, but, but that's absolutely right. It's in the opportunity myth. Right. And I think it was released, I think, in 2018 or 2019. And that's exactly what they found, mm -hmm. that, you know, kids of color were more likely to, you know, just have, um, I like the word you use, subpar instruction. Mm -hmm. They were not engaged and the work that they were given, the, the, what they were taught was not on grade level. Right, right. So if I'm in 10th grade and you're giving me 8th grade work, you are wasting my time. Absolutely. You are wasting Absolutely. my time. And you're setting me up for failure. For, for failure. That's correct. To not so, be successful. So we, right. So mm -hmm. we talked about that connection to, you know, beyond education. Yeah. This is not just an education yeah. problem. This is a problem that extends beyond education. So now we look at students who do not have exposure to rigorous instruction yeah. or high quality instruction. Mm -hmm. And so what happens to those kids when they graduate, if they graduate yeah. from high school? Yeah. What happens to them? What kind of jobs are they qualified for? What kind of colleges could they get accepted into? Mm -hmm. All of that now sets those kids up, so now future adults, yes. up for a life of struggle. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have the um, the opportunities that's it extend it to you yeah. either academically mm -hmm. educationally or um, or even in terms of job skills sure. then you're you're going to be in a position where you're going to be doing menial labor yeah. you know making wages not earning salaries sure. not getting health insurance not being able to afford to purchase your own home sure. or live in communities where the school districts are rated higher. Mm -hmm. Like there's a whole bunch of implications yeah. that are far reaching when we look at what happens to kids who are not given the kind of instruction that really all kids should be, have exposure to. Absolutely. And I think it's that recognition mm -hmm. that you deserve more, right? right? So if I, you know, have this subpar education I'm in this subpar class. Kids know that there are honors classes. They also know that there are special needs classes, right? Yep, they do. So if I never get that recognition that, you know, you can be in this honors class, even the word honor, right? Like what does that say <laughs> for everybody yeah. else? I didn't think about that. You're I, not honorable. Exactly. You know? Oh my gosh. You know, and yes. so when we think about when we think about that, think about the nomenclature, when we think about sort of, you know, kids in honors classes, they go on more trips. I mean, they did when I was in school. Yes, they do. They had these really wonderful opportunities that the other kids didn't get. Right. So if I'm one of the other kids from K to 12, you know, what is the expectation for me? Right. What am I expecting of myself? Right. Like I'm not an honors kid, so I probably won't be recognized. I probably won't get awards. I probably won't be, you know, like those kinds you of things. I won't get scholarships. I won't get scholarships. Mm -hmm. If I go to college, you know, what am I going to, you know, if I get the opportunity to go, what am I actually going to do? What do I expect of myself? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think when we think about that, I think it's like those implications in terms of society, but also internally, intrinsically, what, what does that mean for what I expect? That means that honors, that means that those gifted programs, those are for other people. Mm -hmm. They're not for me. Mm -hmm. And if you think about now in today's workplace, you know, there's all kinds of like teacher of the year, employee of the month, you know, you get a special parking space or whatever that is, you know, do I feel 
that I deserve that because mm -hmm. I never got it before. And I think that that's something that we don't really sort of, you know, when, when you're an AP in honors, you, you expect good stuff, right? You expect, because you're in honors, you're an honors student, you're honorable. So you expect good grades. Mm -hmm. You have the agency and the voice to talk to your teacher when you don't get those good grades. You expect scholarships. You are coached on how to apply for those scholarships, right? And you are also coached on how to apply to those better schools. That's correct. So the Ivy Leagues, the better HBCUs, like you are, you're coached, right? Mm -hmm. And you get this sort of, and so you expect more for yourself, but you're also coached in terms of how to get more for yourself. Right. Right. And then everyone else expects more from you. So That's now, right. now we're talking about a mindset of those who are working with these students. That's right. So they have a certain expectation of certain kids, you know, the honors and AP kids, they expect those That's students right. to be successful. They expect those students to get awards yes. and scholarships and to go to college, to four-year colleges. Um, they expect those students to be successful. Um, and so imagine now you're that kid or you're any kid in school and either you're the kid who has the, the where, you know, the adults expect you to do great things mm -hmm. and or you're the kid who the adults don't expect you to do anything. anything. And then that self-fulfilling prophecy can become true in either situation, Absolutely. in either case. Absolutely. I mean, there's some other implications, but you know, just, just think about just that one piece for a moment. You know, so being in AP as, as a high school student, there was an expectation mm -hmm. that I was gonna go to college. Mm -hmm. And I sat down with a guidance counselor. We talked about, you know, my options and the opportunities that were available to me. I don't know that my brother had those same conversations. Oh, I know my, my older brother did not. Yeah. I know my older brother did not. I mean, the expectation was work or the service. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really was, and you know, I mean, I have four brothers, but one of them in particular, you know, it was really, you were going to, one brother was an athlete. And so it was like, well, you can get a scholarship. Right. So that was different, right? Mm -hmm. But the one brother that, one of my brothers that was in, I mean, the, op the opportunities, he just didn't have the same kinds of, you know, exposures and expectations that, that I had, mm -hmm. you know? And so that meant that he literally, we were in the same building, but he literally went to a different school. Mm. You know, he went to a different school, he had different teachers, different expectations, different work, mm -hmm. right? Different mm -hmm. track mm -hmm. and, and the outcome was different. Yep. Yeah, and that, that is significant yeah. right there. Yeah. Now, what was different for my brother and me was we came out of a household mm -hmm. where college was the expectation. So mm -hmm. it was an expectation in our family mm -hmm. that we were going to go to college. My brother actually wanted to go into the service. Mm. And it was like, mm -hmm. no, you're going to go to college. Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he did. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't what he wanted to do. Right. But, um, you know, it was something that was, there was an expectation mm -hmm. around that. And so... We're, we're again now talking about, and, and, and in that case, the family had influence mm -hmm. on what the trajectory mm -hmm. of the students were. Mm -hmm. But when stu some students don't have that benefit yeah. of the family being able to push them or having those expectations, because this is a cyclical issue. Sure. So these, are, these children are the, the children of parents who also had schooling experiences mm -hmm. that were disrespectful. Yeah. 
And so the cycle continues. Yeah, I think that's you know? really good. I think you, the part about the parents and the, the how significant it is. I remember when I was teaching that there were kids who I taught like a ninth grade honors English class. And one of the things that was always kind of interesting to me was, you know, a lot of kids were in that class because the parents were like, I, I want them, I want right. them there. And they advocated. And they advocated. Mm -hmm. And not all kids had that. And I know for me, like, my parents advocated, but I we were also first generation. So my parents, they knew that they wanted us to go to college, but they weren't really sure. You know, with every kid, they learned a little bit more, mm -hmm. right? So um, they weren't quite sure, like, of what classes were important for us to take in order for us to get there. They figured it out, you know. But how important is uh, is it for a kid to have advocacy, right? And so how important is that? And right. if they don't have it, right, what happens? You know, what, what happens? And if they don't have it at home because they don't know, or if they don't have it at school. And the system is set up so that they're not going to have right. it because that's it's right. teacher recommended in a lot yes. of school systems. Yes, yes. Know, and if those kids aren't favored by their teachers. Which very often is about behavior. Yes. Very often it's not about academics. Right. Very often it's about behavior. And if kids don't have the behavior that is palatable to teachers, then, you know, they just don't mm -hmm. recommend them for honors, AP, or what mm -hmm. have you, or gifted and, and talented Right, or and whatever. we know that a lot of students, black students in particular, are extremely intelligent and may act out because of the disrespectful instruction that's happening. They're not being challenged mm, in class. Right. That's you right. know, like I remember when, um, and, and my kids weren't behavior problems, but I remember when um, my um, daughter was in kindergarten, or maybe it was my son, I think it was my son, in, with this particular story, was in kindergarten, and we were there for parent-teacher conference, and the, um, the teacher said something about reading or whatever, and I was like, oh, he reads. And she had no idea that he could read. I'm like, he's been reading since he was four, like, you know, yeah. at least. Mm -hmm. And so, like, he can read, and, like, mm -hmm. he can actually read, read. Like, you know, <laughs> like, how do you not know that? And I remember, like, being like really incensed by yeah. the fact that the teacher didn't even yeah. know that this little black boy mm -hmm. could actually read yeah. already. And he didn't, you know, he didn't need mm -hmm. the same instruction that everybody else was getting mm -hmm. necessarily, um, maybe certain things, but other things he was already past that because he could read. He yeah. came into kindergarten reading. So let's think about that. So what do we do about it? So think about like all of this promise that kids bring, mm -hmm. all of this talent that they bring, but we're only sort of pulling it out from certain kids. There are patterns to kids who get recognized. Mm -hmm. There are patterns to kids who get identified as gifted and talented. So what does that mean? What do you think, like what do you think would be the first step if we were going to kind of coach somebody through changing that system? What, what would you say is the first step? Well, first of all, I think you've got to do you know, do the analysis, yeah. the data, you know, pull the data. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you need to look at like, what type of, what does your data say yeah. about your students? Who's enrolled in these courses? You know, are they girls, are they boys? Are they black, white, Latino, Asian, um, or any other race or sure. ethnicity? You know, like look at who is being identified first and foremost, and how are students being identified? That's crucial. Right. Yeah. So how are students mm -hmm. being identified for mm -hmm. this? Um, 
if it's a teacher recommendation, some kids may get skipped because mm -hmm. somebody may say, well, I don't like how this child behaves, mm -hmm. you know, or I don't like how this child, you know, shows up late to school and it may have nothing to do with that child. Yeah. And so therefore they lose out on an opportunity. But what some schools are doing, and I would say they, these are more progressive schools, they are getting rid of the criteria and they're extending gifted and talented honors and AP courses to any child that's interested in being a part of it. I think that's great. Right. I think that's great. And I think that's a step towards removing barriers, right. removing those systemic barriers that just stop kids from access, having access and opportunity to these really wonderful kinds of programs that can, you know, light the interest of, you know, a burgeoning musician right. or, you know, a kid that, or a writer or something that they might be, something that they might be interested in. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and I also, I'm, I'm also going to extend it beyond education. You know, when we have these recognition programs, mm. I think it's important to take a look at, you know, the different types of patterns that, that are, that might be noticeable. Like, are there patterns to your employee of the month? Mm -hmm. You know, are there patterns mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. who gets identified for leadership programs? Right. Are there patterns to who gets kind of put in the pool Absolutely. for promotions and everything like that? I think that data is kind of the, is our evidence for whether or not we need to address the way that people get identified right. for opportunities. And that's not so hard, no, is it? No, it isn't. <laughs> It is not. It is not. It, I is mean, not. I, it really seems pretty simple. You I know? think so. I think um, so. We would love to know, you know, how do you do things in your community, in your schools, in your organizations? Reach out to us on social media. We're on all the platforms. We would love to hear from you and engage with you over our social media platforms. Yeah. And, you know, we can, you know, be able to share and, and give you feedback. Sure. If you have questions even for us, we'd love to be able to engage with you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Why Is This So Hard? Yes. And as we've discussed, maybe it's not so hard. Maybe it's not. So thank you for joining us. Thank you.